the J Cut, and this is the K Cut, a movie podcast for movie fans. James here. I'm a content creator. I produce and release music under the alias Boutique Paul. I'm one half of the Prefer to Say podcast, and on this show, I am the expert on no-budget film. Hello there. My name is Andreas. I am the creator and one of the writers over at Films Fatale. I love international cinema, art house cinema, a little bit of everything in between. Um, what does that entail? I guess stay tuned and find out. <laughs> I'm Rachel. I also write for Films Fatale. I like international film, classic movies, lost films, and just anything that's old and hard to find. That's me. Um, So I was thinking about it recently because I've had some fun interactions with dogs and cats lately, and I'm a massive dog person. And we've gone for over two years on this now, two and a half, and we have never had an episode devoted to animals. There are so many great animals on film, stories about them, the way they interact with humans, or maybe just them on their own. So I thought we could cover some of those. Fantastic. I think we've talked about it on the pod before. If not, I've definitely brought it up on Films Fatale. The unfortunate truth of um, you know cinematic history is that there is a lot of like animal abuse and or violence and, and all in the name of art. So it'll be nice to see like what we come up with, especially if it's like animal friendly. But in general, I think it's safe to say that all of us on this pod are big lovers of animals in general. Also, I should say Jenny the donkey was absolutely robbed this year. Just tragic. Yeah, if there was this huge campaign for, remember, um, I think his name was Uggy for the artist. Like yes. the little, what was he, a Jack Russell Terrier or something? Um, well, there were two Jack Russell Terriers that year. There was Cosmo, who was in Beginners, and then there was Uggy, who was in The Artist. And it was the Battle of the Jack Russell Terriers that year, but Uggy had the bigger campaign. People, like, if you're listening and you don't realize this, people were literally creating petitions for there to be like an Oscar for specifically for Uggy for the greatest animal performance of all time. So, you know, if that's going to happen, why not Jenny the donkey who's just brilliant? (laughs) I'm picturing the animal Oscar as being a regular Oscar, but with rabbit ears. (laughs) Doesn't cans have something like that? Like the, like the canine or something like I thought, or, or the, like the paw door or something. Like I'm not joking. I'm pretty sure there is like, I know they add new things every so often. If it's not them, it's somebody. I'm not entirely sure. Well, I certainly hope they do. And um, I'm sure EO would have won in the last year, but. It deserved to win a lot of things. Anyway. No, I mean, uh, EO, the the creature. The actual donkey. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure sure EO did uh, win a, a few awards of some sort, hopefully. It was a competitive year for donkeys, I just realized. Yeah, we, we get these odd trends sometimes where a lot of the same thing shows up in certain films. And like a couple of years, it was sexing chickens. And that's not a gross thing. That's like determining which gender the chickens are. Yeah, there were like a couple of... Oh, it was Minari and it was like a documentary that we watched. No, it, it was, was um, The Man Who Sold His Skin. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh right. It that's was right. also that. Right, right. Mm-hmm. That was that too. But anyway, um, animals have been used in tons of different films, and it's uh, they've shown up sometimes not in great circumstances, and sometimes they're unforgettable. I mean, who can forget the kiss from Lady and the Tramp, or the um, the Fox and the Hound? And I don't know why I'm only naming Disney movies here, but there are many of different many different ways that animals can connect to us. So. For the first half, I suggested a pet or really any domestic animal could apply to this, like a farm animal. And then the second half will be interactions with wild animals. And there are a fair number of those. And no, we're not doing my octopus teacher. 
<laughs> oh, rats. Uh, speaking of animals, rats. Uh, that's too bad. Um, but yeah, who would like to go first uh, talking about their pets? I could go first, especially because I kind of broke the rules a little bit, and I hope nobody gets Ooh, too tell. angry. Okay, so uh, I was thinking of a lot of different uh, domestic pet-related films. And uh, if my answer doesn't apply, toss in Babe as my honorable mention, because gosh darn, that is uh, a family-friendly, beautiful film. And that climax with uh, the sheep herding is like, oh, my heart. That's not what I went with, though. The film that I went with um, took a different approach to the the question that you posed. What uh, pet-related film would I bring up? And it's one that really makes you rethink how we domesticate animals in the same way that we treat each other. And we've talked about it on the pod before. It's one of the strangest films of all time. It's uh, Fantastic Planet by Rene Leloup. Um, so in the film, humans are pets to this alien species. I think they're called uh, trogs. I, um, they Throughout the course of the film, you see how they interact with humans as if we were dogs or cats in their own alien way. And again, that was uh, I was always very uh, sensitive when it came to animals, but that especially out of so many other different films um, on such a subject, but in such a different way, got me rethinking, okay, it's one thing to own a pet, take care of it, be kind to it, but is, is that also enough? Like, is there a way we can go the extra mile when we place ourselves in similar shoes what are the real ways to be the kindest pet owner? Because, you know, you could be like, well, I take care of my pet and I keep it in a cage, but is that really the best way to go about it? You know, there are so many particularities with any domesticated animal. And Fantastic Planet, for sure, the first time I watched it, really got my mind kind of thinking about the subject as like an 18, 19-year-old. That's really cool. Yeah, I think it's very important for pet owners to examine this. And there are plenty of people who question whether it's even ethical to own pets at all. I think now that we've bred them, we're kind of stuck with them. But um, it's it's always a bit of a challenge handling them in the best way. Yeah, because in Fantastic Planet, they keep humans as like amusement. And I'm pretty sure they feed them and take care of them and stuff. But a lot of it's not ethical but it's like well to them where their pets lighting up but that, again that gets you wondering okay let's say i own a rabbit and i've got a condo is that enough space for the rabbit as much as i would love and this is really me talking now as much as i would love to own a rabbit i live in a basement right now um with my partner um is that enough space that's a reasonably big basement but at the same time it's like is that enough space because if i want to own a pet rabbit which i do one day I don't want it to be sad. You know, I want it to be happy, feel loved, feel like it's at home. Is this enough? I don't know. You know, it's 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 one of those things as to why I don't have a pet, despite being an animal lover, because films like Fantastic Planet have gotten me really thinking, like, what really are the best practices? Because it's not just about my self-fulfillment. It's about what I can offer to this living, breathing animal that I'm bringing into my domicile. So I think it's an important question to have. Also, going back to what you were saying about humans as pets, how many times have you heard someone, particularly like somebody who's tired and been working hard, oh, my pet has such an easy life, I envy them? (laughs) That's what you think. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, they don't. Um, Basically, animals have been uh, removed from their habitat, you know, for our own benefit. And yeah, there are many 
different approaches that we have taken and some much better than others towards uh, really uh, making up for that fact. But at the end of the day, over the course of thousands of years, we have removed like um, wild cats or or wolves and foxes from their natural habitat. And now we know them as the cute little dogs and cats that we know today. Again, well, it's just cats about- are the only exception, though, because there is the history of they kind of technically domesticated themselves. That's true. That's true. Which is so bizarre. Like they actually, it's almost like we are really the pets when it comes to cats. Yeah. What am I talking about? I'm, I'm just speaking through my rear end here. So I, what am I talking about? Fantastic Planet was a good, a good pick. That's definitely a very creative way to interpret this first half. I think we should probably get more into a literal sense as to what Rachel was posing before. So instead of uh, staying abstract, who wants to bring up their uh, their domestic animal selection? I'll go with mine because it's basically the most basic pet movie ever, but I love it and I couldn't not talk about it because I've cried over the ending scene about 500 times. And that is Disney's Homeward Bound, which I think was made in about 1993. Got the voices of Don Amici, um, Michael J. Fox, and Sally Field as the pets. And basically the premise is, it's based on the story, The Incredible Journey, which I'm obligated to mention is originally Canadian. And this family has three pets. They move, they can't take the pets with them, and the pets decide to run away and come home. And so they're traveling through the wilderness with all these dangers and all this turmoil, and you don't know if they're going to make it, and they have plenty of close calls. And I think it's just a really wonderful example of the bond we have with our pets and how they can be devoted to us and how we can care for them and just how unbreakable that bond is. And each kid kind of has their own pet, and each pet loves them in a slightly different way. And it's just a really lovely film, and I think we don't give family films enough credit on this podcast, as many adults do not, but it really is a good one to watch with the whole family. Yeah, I have not seen this since I was a what? child. I, I, oh, no, I've seen it, but not since oh, okay. I was a child. Okay. Uh, right, it's probably been I, like 35 years since I've seen it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's been a while. Or 25. <laughs> in, in my parents' home. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. We've got the VHS as well, and oh, my God, I... Yeah, I, uh, I don't, I, it just brings back so many memories, like, like specifically seeing, like, I think on the VHX box, it's like the, uh, the train tracks that they're walking across, kind of like they're like these, these travelers, these vagabonds, but they're, they are, they're just, they just happen to be animals. And it really gets you, uh, questioning not to keep equating animals to humans. But I remember as a child that, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, I want to get this video game. No, that's it. I'm running away from home. And it was a film like Homeward Bound that got me like really rethinking this where it's like, first off, um, it's a lot more effective in my opinion than a film where you see like people running away from home. Cause like, you know, it's animals. You don't want them to get lost. It's, it's sad. Um, and then you start thinking about, you know, back when I was younger, I did have pets. I had a guinea pig, I had a couple of fish, a couple of frogs. Um, you know, I was living the high life and, what if they ran away from home? I would be really sad. And, it, you know, it gets you thinking about, like, perhaps your own place in life, but in the uh, through the eyes of very cute pets. And the three voice actors do an amazing job as the pets, each giving them their own personality. And, um, and also the old dog played by Don Amici is a golden retriever, and my family had golden retrievers for 28 years straight. And so I have a special affection for that pet. <laughs> Oh, I mean, that's understandable. 
Yeah. Anyway, that's my pick, but it's it's sweet. It's not going to set the world on fire, but it's a good watch. They also don't make movies like that anymore. Like family comedies that are a small scale, you mean? Well, yeah, there well, yeah, I I guess we could go with that because they're the 90s did have a very nuanced type of family film, but I'm just saying like movies with pets like this but also the fact that it was like live pets you're right i don't see a lot of that stuff also it's not really aimed at our age group too so maybe we're missing something but oh yeah additionally not a lot of family films with with animals specifically that aren't cheap you know like something like homeward bound feels like there's a lot of like actual heart and thought put into it in my opinion also, they're so tough to work with because, like, really, are you going to tell a cat what to do? Of course not. But a dog will listen. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe I'm uh, I'm reading too deeply into this. <laughs> All right, James. Uh, what is your pick? I decided to go with Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs. Ooh. That's right on. One. And for those who don't know what that is, it's a movie that is set in Japan and due to a canine influenza pandemic, all the dogs are shipped off to this trash Island, regardless if they have it or not. And there's a little boy whose dog gets taken. And so he travels to the Island to try to find this dog. And then his particular dog forms a, like a little crew with other dogs. And uh, the lead being played by Brian Cranston, by the way, which is an amazing performance. It has an incredible cast. Oh, yeah. Just the cast. Because Wes Anderson has a knack for just getting the perfect ensemble movies. Side note, can we talk about for just a split second where we're getting two Wes Anderson movies this year? And I think that's awesome. An ensemble of ensemble casts. Wow. We live in the best timeline. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But yeah, I picked it mainly because it's good at highlighting... A story of a ch- like this this kid. He's it shows what links will go to save this animal that he cherishes, but it also kind of brings up, you know, once a, a type of animal is stigmatized, it's almost bad all around. In this case, it's just the entirety of dogs. But how many times it's like throughout history, it's like we've been taught that certain breeds you're supposed to stay away from, even though that's more of a result of how they're raised, not mm-hmm. in their nature. Now, that's a that's a fair point. Um, it's uh, you know it's looking at all dogs, but the, you know in the same way that uh, you know in modern times we look at all Rottweilers, for instance, or all pit bulls um, as violent. When that's not necessarily true, it's more again how they were how they were brought up, uh, especially so. Um, I love this film so much. I think it's uh, one of Wes Anderson's best. I think it's his most. Um, heartfelt you know it's funny and whimsical at times but it's also like just serious which i like seeing from wes anderson you know he doesn't always have to be serious but at least occasionally doesn't hurt i wish it got brought up more because you hear a lot about grand budapest and the royal tenenbaums but this one kind of slides under the radar i think maybe because it's animated yeah it's too bad yeah kind of like how fantastic mr fox it almost is what it's one of those ones that doesn't get talked about as much but it's like it's made for a specific audience He's really good at animated is what I've learned. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's pretty much it for mine. I mean, there really, there isn't too much nuance with it. It's just like, oh, there's a couple things that are relatable, but it's also just a great example of just, you know, the utilization of domestic pets in a storyline. It also gets you thinking, because it's not like a post-apocalyptic film by any stretch, but, you know, in the reality that there could be something that 
wipes this all out or something. Um, do we abandon those that are loyal to us? I mean, that's also like a question that, that pops up. And I think it's an important one that Wes Anderson was tackling. Well, I remember watching A Quiet Place when it was in theaters. And it's a really great film to see in theaters, assuming the audience isn't full of idiots. And I remember it occurred to me about midway through the movie, the first thing we'd have to do is humanely put the dog down if something like that happened. Yeah, I forgot about which I did see A Quiet Place in theaters and um, perfect, perfect setting for that. But uh, anyways, back on track. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. And that's uh, that's another reason why I don't own an animal presently. Uh, having to accept the harsh realities of taking care of said animal and what one might have to do in order to like take care of it or make sure that it um, goes out the best way possible to put it lightly, I guess. And that's, it's sad. Let's, let's maybe stop thinking about animals that we have to take care of. What if the, uh, what about the wild ones where we could use a cinematic magic to be like, Hey, for an hour and a half, we're going to chill with an animal that would otherwise eat us or ones that we just could not bring home. Cause the, uh, the Ontario or Michigan government will not allow us to do so. What about wild animals? Yeah, they have a great track record of living a long time. For the second half, yeah, I've been looking at wild animal options, and um, I kind of went through the Wikipedia of all of them, and I thought you guys could get as creative as you liked about it. Like, did you know SpongeBob is technically an animal movie? Which you would never think of, but it's absolutely true. It is, but like, oh. it, is it? I mean, it's kind yeah, of like interesting when people call All About Eve a comedy. I'm like, it is, but is it really? Like, I feel the same yeah. way about this. So there's a lot of leeway here, and I'm very interested to hear what you guys have to say. And I think Andreas went first last time. So would you like to take up the mantle? Yeah, sure. I can do that. So um, this time I went a lot more literally, and uh, this is a film. Okay, so... On this pod, I've discussed a lot of animal-related films many a time. Like, I'm not going to bring up The Red Turtle again. I'm not going to bring up some of, some of these other examples. I'm not going to be um, abstract about it like Black Swan, because there aren't actual swans in it, excluding, like, you know, a plush one somewhere in the film. Um, I wanted to go very literal. And with that in mind, I couldn't really go anywhere but the breathtaking documentary my octopus teacher. No, uh, the uh, the breathtaking <laughs> documentary um, "Grizzly Man" by Werner Herzog, which of uh, course I was hoping someone would bring that up. Well, your wish came true. Uh, this film follows obviously it's a true story. Um, it follows Timothy Treadwell, who uh, actually studied bears in their natural habitat and uh, has all of this footage. All of this footage. Uh, pertaining to the the grizzly bear specifically that he was um, at times flat out living with and he would he would uh, see them every single day um, he would actually go on these massive expeditions where he would be out from civilization uh, for like months at a time and you know it's one of those films where if you know what it's about you know how it ends unfortunately Treadwell was actually um, uh, was actually attacked and eaten by one of the one of the bears. But if you watch the film, first off, it's exceptionally um, sensitive towards the actual subject matter, and you don't actually see the footage, which I think is for the best. Uh, Treadwell's mom, actually, I think it's his mom, um, entrusted Werner Herzog with the uh, with the final tape, where you actually can see it happening, and 
Uh, Werner Herzog said, I'm going to lock this away, make sure nobody ever sees it, which I think is uh, the best way to handle such a subject. Uh, furthermore, it's worth noting, again, Werner Herzog's sensitivity uh, is so important here, how he highlights that it's not because bears are you know violent creatures. It's because the, uh, the government, uh, I think it was maybe even federal at this point, um, was forbidding Treadwell from interacting with the with the bears in the way that he wanted to or crossing specific grounds in the way that he wanted to with the timeline that he wanted to because he knew down to like the most fundamental level don't cross these paths at these times of year because this is when bears are mating or hunting he had it down to a science and it was unfortunately because others meddled that something like this happened so it's a gruesome aftermath but it's a celebration of the guy and of wildlife in general particularly the bears and it sounds a lot more disturbing than it is i would highly recommend it it's a beautiful film yeah that story's just so fascinating and it brings up so many debates of how far did he go did he go too far um is like is what he was doing to understand bears better essentially worth the risks he was taking and it's a tough one it is tough it's for sure tough but um again it's a must watch i love it well rachel what about you what did uh what did you did you also go with bears or did you go with tigers and lions oh my no i went to the other side of the world and into the sea because i am thinking about the film that broke out of nowhere and became a success against all odds It's a film that's very culturally specific, made on a low budget, and in 2003 it was quite a success, and that was Whale Rider. And at the time, the young actress Keisha Castle Hughes was the youngest ever Best Actress nominee at the age of 13. And this is a wonderful, beautiful, sensitively done movie that is very focused on the community and the relationships between the people, but also their relationships with the environment around them, particularly with whales. And it's a character journey at the same time of the young girl who's the main character and who grows into essentially an adult at this point um, through her relationship with them, the whales, and the way that develops. And it's just... It's a really good watch, and I think it's especially a good watch for young women. I think this is one of the most underrated films I've ever seen. It's so typical. Like, you can predict where it's going to go, the drama that forms up, the resolution. But at the same time, I feel like it's just so pure with it as well that it doesn't really bother me. I feel like... um, a pun and fully intended. I feel like I get washed away by the cinematography and just the way that, you know, whales are shot or the ocean is shot or surfing is surfing is shot. Gorgeously done. And this is Nikki Caro who directed, and she also directed Mulan, which is also quite visually beautiful. Although I felt the story didn't quite hold up in that version. I feel like she was held back there. Yeah. I feel like she was uh, held back there by, uh, you know, the live action Disney uh, overlords, I suppose. But, um, this is much better. If you weren't into Mulan, this is a much better film. If you're, you know, this is, we usually bring up quite a few challenging, abstract, out there films. This is not one. This is one that is very safe to watch, um, but also just really good at it as well. I have like a very small collection of like, quote unquote, 
Oscar Beatty films that are actually worth a damn. And this would be one of them where it feels like, what's this made for award season? Maybe, maybe not. But at the same time, it definitely feels like it, it fits in with such an ideology, but it also is worth bringing up after the fact because it, it really is just so purely good and fascinating. Also, I've said it before on this pod and in my column, and I will say it again, New Zealand is the best country in the world for film by my money. That is a, that is a bold take. That's something we're going to have to um, discuss well, in another episode for unbelievable sure. unbelievable technical innovation and storytelling innovation, but that is a whole nother pod, as you say. But yeah, I, I adore New Zealand film. I actually just remembered Lord of the Rings is from there. So you know what? You might be onto something. There's actually a lot of films that have been shot there. The Piano. That you know what I forgot about the piano as well. You know what? I, actually, you might be right. Yeah, but anyway, that was mine, James. How about you? Uh, so I decided to go with a different interpretation, and mine is absolutely off the wall that you two will probably hate. But I decided to go with the movie The Animal, starring Rob Schneider. Oh, so we started off with the human being an animal, and we are ending with that. Okay, well, you know what? I, I asked for it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I was like, well, how can I get really creative? But yeah, for those who haven't seen The Animal, if, you, if you're if you a millennial, you've likely seen this movie, whether you think so or not. But it stars Rob Schneider as a gentleman who meets his untimely end, and he's resurrected by a mad scientist who utilizes parts from wild animals to put him back together, and then he becomes sort of a super cop with all his new wild animal abilities the fact that you call him a gentleman is hilarious <laughs> in this film it's, that, that's a that's wise choice of words <laughs> i picked it because it's a silly movie but also they do real trials with wild animal genetics and gene splicing with humans which at the time was quite new yeah and it's like it's something that they've been doing for years and trying to figure out i mean it's it you know it's something obviously that's fantasy still by today's standards, but it's just kind of wild. Like you put all these animals and then it gains all the abilities of these animals. It becoming a literal animal himself, which apparently it's getting a sequel. Oh no. Yeah. (laughs) No No one asked for it, but well, interspecies gene splicing is the one thing the writers of this movie and Margaret Atwood have in common. Thanks Margaret Atwood, I suppose. (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, What a, what a strange note to end on. Uh, do we have anything else to say about the animal? Nope. <laughs> okay. And it was and it was my suggestion. Short and sweet. <laughs> oh well. Uh, uh, thanks, thanks, James. Uh, well, if you want to, <laughs> uh, maybe it's not that bad. I haven't watched it in a minute. Maybe it's not that bad. I don't know. Should I re- revisit it? Do you think? Do you think it's misunderstood? Or I don't know. What do you think? It's a postmodern masterpiece. We just haven't realized it yet. Yeah, it's pretty good. It, it, it'll it'll, pro- it'll probably get the same treatment that uh, Showgirls gets nowadays at some point. Fair uh, enough. I'm a Showgirls defender, not f- thoroughly, but I am one. So you know what? I I asked for this as well. So uh, if our uh, if you, if you haven't run away yet uh, from that suggestion. Um, we can let you know where to find us next. Rachel, please. <laughs> sure. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the K-Cut. And for Cinematic Smorgasbord this month, we have picked The Birdcage, The Seven Samurai, uh, Metropolis, not 1927, but 2001. And for our collective, The Man Who Sleeps. And I just watched it last weekend, and you are in for a treat, guys. 
Oh, I still have to do the one. I am stupidly excited. Actually, for for all of them, the Birdcage as well. I'm behind, but I'm gonna I'm gonna catch up, and I'm I'm very excited. Um, nonetheless, something doesn't feel quite right here. Um, you know, we're cinephiles. We kind of just don't know how to stop recommending movies. So if we haven't recommended enough, uh, why don't we do it some more? Uh, let's do some random weekly recommendations. Sure. Well, today is May 11th as we're recording. So the day after this recording will be the most sacred day of the year, Catherine Hepburn Day, the her birthday. And uh, she'd be 116 if she were still alive. And I thought I'd recommend Bringing Up Baby, which is a wonderful screwball comedy that will have you falling out of your chair. It's Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn at their best, completely bonkers. And it is all revolving around a leopard and a dog and some other stuff. But just go watch it. You'll have fun. That is such a good pick because it's uh, your favorite and it's got an animal in it. Damn. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I might have to think for a minute. James, what about you? Uh, so I, I'm going to keep along with the theme of the episode, and I'm also going to do a callback to a previous smorgasbord pick. I'm going to go with The Cat Returns. That was a good one. Yeah, just because it's a fun movie that involves cats. I mean, anthropomorphic cats that talk and do action. And have a <laughs> political hierarchical system. Yeah. Damn. Okay, what do I go with? Jeez. Yeah, I just don't want to say the red turtle for the 10 billionth time. Um, I mean, you could. Yeah, nobody's, <laughs> there's no podcast police coming for you, Andres. We wouldn't follow you because it is a really good movie. It's true, but at the same time, uh, first off, by me saying this, I'm kind of nudging it already. But secondly, like I, I kind of want to, I kind of want to press myself a little bit and see what I can come up with. Uh, let's see. Um. A lot of people have been asking for the animal, the lone animal, I'm pretty sure, in this movie, which is in it for like five seconds to be CGI digitally removed, which I think is sacrilegious. And anybody who thinks that it should be removed is a psychopath and they're just following everybody else's barking orders. That is the rat that you find in Martin Scorsese's The The Departed, which everybody says is like a perfect film except for the literal CGI rat because it's too on the nose. I don't care. Ha- Shut up! It's perfect. It's a it's a it's a, it's a near perfect film. We're keeping the rat, and in general, um, the Departed is just a brilliant film anyway, which I feel like is at least partially or grossly underrated, depending on who you talk to. Um, is it one of Scorsese's best? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I would say that I have ones that I prefer, but like top five, quite possibly. Like the Departed is a damn good ride. Love it, love it, love it. I mean, he puts um, out at least one perfect film every single decade. Yeah, he does, actually. And um, does that mean that Killers of the Flower Moon will be that perfect film? Perchance. I guess we'll find out later this year. Otherwise, uh, that was um, the K-Cut. Please spay and neuter your animals. As per um, Drew Carey and or Bob Barker. Uh, I don't know. It just felt fitting. Uh, that was the K-Cut. We are now going into the L-Cut. L-Cut.